Good evening, everybody. I did say that James was going to be back tonight. I asked you for permission to do that. You said yes. <laughs> and the reason why I winked at him is because, unlike last night, this is a recording. <laughs> That's why we're wearing the same outfits as last night, although it's been 24 hours for you. For us, it's been 24 <laughs> seconds. But I didn't want to go into 9 o'clock last night, uh, and, and there was so much that we were talking on. Now, we get to go for two hours, because my my mind is just yeah. spinning with what yeah. we talked about. I was yeah. so blessed. Yeah. And we were at a critical juncture when we went through critical race theory. We're breaking down just the evil of this concept. Yeah. And this is what Chris Wallace was referring to at the debate when he yeah. talked about racial sensitivity training. Yeah. It's critical race theory. Yeah. And, and now as we've broken it down and we've taken a look at it, we haven't gone into great depths, but right. we've looked at the points. Mm-hmm. And, and we use the illustration of how is it that, you know, black America has fallen prey or they've been sold this. Yeah. And not just black America, but corporate America. That's right. That yep. BLM can come in and, and, and get billions of dollars. Right. And that everyone in America has to go through this sensitivity training, which is nothing, nothing but critical race theory. That's right. And, and where is the church in all this? We've fallen prey to it that we're putting up black tiles in support of BLM. And I refuse to call BLM Black Lives Matter. I agree. The two dist- black Lives Matter. Yep. BLM, that's, who, right. that's, that, I, that's Marxist. Right. So now we come to a place where we have broken it down. And we're going to refresh everyone. For them, it's been 24 hours. For us, it's been tw- 2.4 minutes. Yep. Let's, let's break it down for them again, the five points of critical race mm-hmm. theory. Yep. And yep. then I want to go into how the church... Because you pointed out that the Holy Spirit is a restrainer of evil. That's right. So how is the church supposed to restrain this evil that comes to shut down dialogue, pit human beings against each other, destroy knowledge, destroy communication, create havoc and war and oppression? Yeah. I have a lot. Uh, I, there's so, a lot so break, to say but, about but that. Break down the five points again. Okay. Boom. Give it yeah. to give it to James Cadiz. Okay. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, we'll do it really quickly. Okay. So right. cri- critical race theory is based on the premise that skin color matters. It's in essence tribal in nature. It basically separates human beings based on the color of their skin, which is overtly, overtly evil and wicked, and, and, and has no place in the scriptures. No place in scripture. No place in even secular communities. Secular communities are beginning to recognize the obscenity of this type of thing. Right. It also carries the premise, especially in the United States of America, that racism is built into the fiber of this nation because the premise of the construction of this nation was based on the tenets of racism. Right. Uh, so everything is racist. The building we're in is racist. The lights that we use is racist. Uh, the electrical bills that we pay are racist. Uh, everything that we do, computer systems that we use. I heard this one recently. The computer systems that we use are racist. Um, everything is racist. Uh, adoption is racist. That's a new one that we're hearing. It's being made popularized by a very uneducated, uninformed man who I actually believe is lying because he knows better who's basically saying that um, the newest judicial nominee of the Supreme Court is actually a racist because she adopted two black babies from Haiti and of course she's a white colonizer. And and that's what uh, racism everywhere is. uh, It really enables people to be able to say. Then they go on to say that dialogue is illegal. You're not allowed to dialogue about this. This, If you have a dialogue that is contrary to the dialogue that I provide to you, then by any means necessary, I'm to shut it down. That's where we get the cancel culture from. That's where people are beginning to throw things away, erase things. We want to erase your existence. That's why Facebook will take your account offline if you say something that's contrary to what they, uh, contrary you know, to the narrative. Contrary to the narrative, right? Totalitarianism. That's the next one. And that basically is where we get the phrase, silence is violence. If you don't say anything about it, you indeed are racist. So you're either for us or you're done. If you don't put up the black square, you're a racist. If you choose not to get involved. We saw that one girl in the cafe where they're surrounding her and they're telling her. And bravest woman in America just standing there going, I'm not doing it. Yeah. Horrible. Kill me. I'm not doing it. They're yelling at her. You're a racist by not saying anything. And by the way, did you notice the majority of the people that were screaming and going crazy at her were white people? But that's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. Okay. And then the next thing 
which I believe when we talked about those four things, the totalitarianism, the dialogue issue, the uh, racism is built into everywhere, and then talking about the fact that color matters, all of those points lead up to the ultimate one, and that is, by the time you get past those four points, it brainwashes you into saying that science is a lie, math is irrelevant, empirical, empirical data is actually racist. So if I actually say that energy cannot be created or destroyed, it can only be transferred from one form to another, the lowest form of energy is uh, you know, uh, thermal energy, which is where we get the laws of decay. That, that, second you know, law of thermodynamics. thermodynamics. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. If we start having discussions of special relativity and we talk about speed and, and everything that happens when we get in planes and we travel or... Uh, Slow down. Oh, yeah, sorry. I know I'm going to. Okay, that's my problem. I always go too fast. Um, it's I feel, all I feel like I'm on a bullet train. Yeah, it's... <laughs> sorry. James, it's, all, James, <laughs> it's all wrong, and it's all racist. And so Mr. You, Wizard! Yeah, yeah. So if you are a student, and you study these very things that will propel you in the United States, I mean, these, these where things... Where you will excel well, and achieve excel yeah, excellence. You, where you can obtain wealth, where and you that's can have where the we American realized, dream. that's where we realized Dr. Carson wouldn't be separating that's Siamese right. twins. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a complete and total lie. And the reason why you have to remove empirical data and, and, and the ability to, to seek knowledge and learning and all the education aspects is because in the laws of nature, nature's God, you, you, if you're going to avoid those, you're going to see consequences and you're going to say, no, it's what we say it is. It's a modern day version of slavery. And, and, and I know that that's, I'm going to sound offensive by saying this, but you remember back in the day when the slave owners don't teach would, him to read when this, right. They would take books away from them. They pluck their eyes out. If they were caught reading books, this does all of that without having to pluck people's eyes out and take books away and so on and so forth. If you can convince people you don't need books and why should you read? Because it's all a lie and there's nothing true. There we go. And What's interesting to me with all of this is, and we, this is where we left off last night, and I think it's just so incredibly important that we understand this, the church, if the church functions as God intended it to function, will always serve as a direct repudiation to this type of teaching. Not to, only to will that, it do to that, that type of enslavement. To that type of enslavement. Not only that, but it will actually teach people to be transformed based on the understanding of identity. Here's the question that I would ask. When we talk about critical race theory, and I talked about critical race theory last, uh, last night being a perversion of the scriptures. If you take the totality of critical race theory, it comes directly against what Paul teaches in Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. Here's the question that I'll impose with Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Does what I do determine who I am or does who I am determine what I do? The world says, critical race theory says, what I do in essence determines who I am to a degree. God's word says, who you are determines what you do. I'm made in the likeness and image of God. I've given my life to Jesus Christ, which means I'm no longer a sinner bound to sin. And I can do all things through Christ. I can do all me. things through Christ who strengthens me. I am now transformed. Wait. By the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't want to wait on that part. Yeah, I'm now transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I now, according to what the word of God says, am a saint. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that oh, I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver Which, by me the way, Greek translation for that, when he uses that term, death trap. Yep. Who will deliver me from this death trap? And then he brings up a very revolutionary concept. He says... I think Jesus Christ, he's the one that's going to do it. And then he goes on to say that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the but spirit. walk according to the spirit. Now, this is why that, let me tell you why that's incredibly revolutionary. Because it introduces and reinforces the concept that my salvation is not based on any meritorious effort that I bring. So, it's based on what Christ has done for me, which means... That if I recognize I am a child of God who has been positionally transformed by him, I'll live like it. In Hyde Park, it was said, the, the man said, if communism comes to England, that, that bum over there, every bum in, in, in England will have a new suit. And the man said, if the Lord comes, 
there will be a new man. That's right. Not a new suit. That's right. And, and the idea for, for all of us is that when they say white privilege, and I listened to Anita Phillips, I think yeah. it was, with Christine oh. Kane, and, and this hit me. Because we're going through the book of Acts, and, and, and you, you see absolute ethnic tension. Oh, yeah. The, the book of Acts is inundated with it. And it's not the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And, and here, as we talked about, you know, yesterday, a few minutes ago, uh, <laughs> Cornelius and, and Peter, a Jew, Orthodox, Roman soldier, centurion, Italian regiment, oppressor, oppressed, right? Friends. Brothers, Holy Spirit falls. Both had that Pentecost moment of speaking in tongues. God didn't save just the, the speaking in tongues for the, the, the Jews who converted. He gave it to the Gentiles too. It's not that everyone who is baptized in the Holy Spirit speaks in tongues. That, the point was, I'm not withholding anything. That's right. You're in my family. That's right. So when, when Anita Phillips says to Christine Kane, I had a dream the Nordic tribes and the African tribes, the African tribes are, are contained communally. And, and the Nordic tribes are individualistic. Yeah. And, and this is where they get their worldview. And ours is communal, theirs is individualistic. And this is why you don't understand black yeah. America. Right. And why black America doesn't understand the white races. Yep. Okay, time out. Okay, I take my lineage back to what, Scotland, Ireland, and by the way, Irish slaves were less expensive than African slaves. I didn't say that. Thomas Sowell with the history that he did, this black American did extensive history work on him. They were easier to get from Ireland than they were to go all the way down to Africa. And, and they didn't care about the color of the skin when they enslaved them. They just enslaved them. Yep. The human heart is depraved. So you have... You, you have these supposed Nordic tribes that she had a dream from God to show that, you know, there is no, she said this, she said, there's no Christian worldview. Oh, oh. That's what she said. Anita oh. Phillips said that. She's on, and, and, and Christine Kane's going, mm, yes. Oh, incredibly dark. And they're embracing the idea that there's no Christian worldview because it's a white Christian worldview. I got news for you. Yes, your, your heritage and lineage comes from North Africa. Mine comes from Scotland and Ireland. In Scotland and Ireland, if you go all the way back before Christ came through with missionaries as he did with the Ethiopian eunuch that came into Egypt, the same gospel that was Philip shared with him and he was baptized and took it into Candace. And by the way, Christianity got to Egypt before it got to Scotland. That's right. So if it's a white man's deal, let's figure that one out. And then it has to go up through you know, Greece and then into the European and, and then it has to go over to Scotland. You got to get John Knox in there and then, and then they got to work through that. It took a long time before it converted into Scotland with the Covenanters and then crossed the Atlantic. And it had been in Africa long before it ever got through Europe. My point is this. My ancestors were eating each other. Yeah. This idea of individualistic, they were as tribal as anyone in Africa. That's right. And they were as vile and and, and they, worse, I mean, you just, you just go on Netflix and watch some of the ancient stuff, what they used to do to one another. That's it was right. brutal. That's right. And to say, well, this, this is, you, you can't understand. I can understand every race in the world with one understanding. It's real simple. We have different foods, whatever. But the one thing we have in common? Adam. <laughs> sin. Yeah. We will do anything we can to oppress another human being and yep. we'll make up the rules to That's do it. That's right. But it all came from Adam. Yeah. And, and what did Cain say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He asked the question when God imposed the question to him. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. After he'd murdered him. That's right. Yeah. I, I know exactly where you're going with and, this. And, and this has been the fight all along. Yep. And, and we figure out how to do it by coming up with all kinds of philosophies and ideologies to justify our enslavement of another human being. And you know what? The tables have turned. You're sitting in the seat of power because you have more melanin. Yep. And, and it, would, it could feed your ego. Can I argue? You can have your foot on the gas pedal. You can drive this one into the ground. Can I argue? 
Of course, that when the average person says I have more power because of the amount of melanin in my skin, that I would say I actually have more of a propensity to be in bondage. Oh, I, bondage you, you, to hate. You, yeah. look, you look around right now and you think of the tenets of critical race theory and you see what's happening in our nation where cities are burning down for 100 plus days, where people are being raped and there are DAs that don't want to hold the rapist accountable because of the color of their skin. Right. How's it working for you? Yeah. How's it working? It's not working. But let me, like we did on our last live stream. Yep. Let me challenge you. Okay. Yeah, the inner cities are burning. And BLM is left. We do have some Antifa in there. The places where the inner city folks would shop are all burned. Their businesses have been looted. No money's being put in there. Their police force has been removed and their councils have voted them out. They're being used as political pawns. Where are the churches? <laughs> You're asking me? And the church, but they're doing, they're doing the tiles, the, the BLM tiles. It's ridiculous. But let's go further with it. Who's contending for the ideas that drive the culture? Are we... Are we acclimating to a culture being driven by evil? Are we, as you said in our last time together, are we filled with the Holy Spirit and restrainers of evil? Are we contending for the oppressed? Yeah. Contending for the oppressed is not adapting to culture. Let me tell you something. Contending for the oppressed is taking the hard stand to go yeah. where evil is reigning and wants to rip you apart. I'll tell you a story. This is a, this is a great story. I think you'll totally be blessed by this. And it really does encapsulate the issue that we're talking about. We, um, probably over the last few years, we've had a large amount of black families start coming to our church. It's pretty amazing. Ethnically speaking, we have a lot of different cultures, a lot of different races. We have a lot of Asian cultures, a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, lots of people from different ancestral places. And, um, We've had a, a large amount of black families start to come into our church, and some stay, some go. There's a great story of probably one of the most talented group of people that have come to our church that are it's black family, amazing people. They're really, really special. I watched them come to our church when they didn't have any children, and they're a young couple. They just got married. And one of the guys, uh, the, the, the husband in this situation, came with the kind of philosophy and idea that the world had indoctrinated him with. Matter of fact, actually not just the world, let me just tell you, the church indoctrinated him with. He was in the mindset of a pastor that would uh, use him for his talents and didn't care about his spiritual condition at all. Yeah. So this family comes, we go, oh man, these are some talented people. Let's use them for the glory of God. So, you know, we give them some opportunities to get involved. You know how it normally is. The wife's always a solid one. You know, husband's the one that's a little funny, you know. And uh, it got to the point where this, the guy is just incredibly talented. There's nothing this guy can't do. He's one of the best cablers in the base. The guy's just incredible. He just has in, talent like I've never seen. He starts getting involved in the church. He ends up doing some things that are pretty sinful, type of things that be destructive to his family, destructive to his culture, his life, everything around him. And what he's been taught this whole time is, well, I just continue doing this. These guys will use me because I'm talented and no one's ever going to hold me accountable. And I um, called him into my office and I said, I got to sit you down, man. I can't use you. I, I actually care about you. I don't want you to, to be involved in ministry right now. We got to work through some issues. There's some family issues. You've got some things going on, whatever. And I, I share this, by the way, I can share this story with permission. He's given me permission to share this story to other people. I already know you. You wouldn't do that. Yeah. So he leaves and I get a call from his wife and his mother-in-law. And they're very, uh, they're crying and they're pretty upset. And I'm like, oh no, this is going to be one of those. How could you do this to my husband and so on yeah. and so forth. And they tell me, pastor, I'm just going to say one thing. I'm going to leave it alone. Thank you. Thank you. We've been to many, many, many churches. Every church I'd ever gone to. Black church, not that it really matters. And there's never been a pastor that we've ever met 
who would be willing to sit down my husband for all the things that he's doing. He's doing a lot of crazy things. Now I'm going to hit the fast forward button and I'm not going to get into all the details of all the things he was doing and everything that was going on. He's married. He has two children, young children now, both dedicated their children to the Lord. Those two children will never know the evils of the previous generational lines in his family. When he came to our church, he hated President Trump and didn't like anything that the white oppressors stood for. Now he's one of the staunchest defenders of President Trump. Not, not that that's what makes him a Christian or anything like that. But he is the first person in his generational line, and he has some very godly family members, first person in his generational line to start taking responsibility for his life. Walked away from all of the habits that were destroying him. While all of his buddies are still gangbanging, hanging in the clubs, doing all the things that suppression has caused them to lead and do. He's a successful business owner. He's a leader in the church. He's changing the lives of people around him. He's bringing people into the fold. Amen. And he's dealing with the problem that exists in the black community. All right, let me. Of 80% of those families not having a father in the yeah, family. Absent fathers. I, but that me, comes from a place of standing in the church. Let me do like I did last night. Okay. Let me challenge you on that. I like it. A struggle is to be more concerned with your culture than you are with Christ. Oh, absolutely. And, and to be more concerned with your identity in the culture than you are with your identity in Christ. That's right. Okay. And we, we look at the individual you just described and we, we see somebody who overcame that and, and worked well when confronted with sin, with his sin and, and owned it, embraced it, but had never been told that before. Yep. Okay. And previous where his life found itself, that was always emphasized and, and it was never called to account. Yep. And that was actually elevated as a trait. That's right. Okay. And people would say with critical race theory that you just took him out of his culture and put him into the white man's culture. That's right. Okay. That is the argument. It's the argument. But let's look at it this way. The, 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 the culture that's created of defiance towards authority and, and uh, being a player and, and go, going down the list. How is that... How is that funded oh how's that how's that funded how is how is that promoted where somebody can turn that into a place where they can make money and have notoriety how does that happen i'll tell you i'll I'll tell you how it happens it's a great question and and i'll tell you exactly how it happens as an attorney i don't ask a question without knowing the answer oh i see so this is a rhetorical question (laughs) well at least i have an answer yours may be different okay so first of all i think it's important to note that those that are doing the funding contrary to popular belief, are also always not always aware of what they're doing. They're being indoctrinated by a small class of people who do understand what they're doing and seek to continue to do what they're doing for their own nefarious purposes. Let, let, me, let me jump in because we're, we're going to go in a direction. I, I, I just want to give you my illustration. Okay. You ask a kid, you, you say, get a free smartphone. Yep. You get to put one app on it. And they'd put Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram. They wouldn't put CNN or Fox. or Because they're communal on the phone. Yep. And the other thing that is just inundated on their phone is their music. Mm -hmm. And all I want to do is I want to take the phones of all the kids in the body of Christ, these Christian families... And let's see what they're listening to. Yeah. And if we are not confronting our kids, funding that world that promotes the struggle of his life, I think we have to endeavor as a body of Christ to restrain evil at every level. You don't fund it. You don't emphasize it. 
and you educate your kids because that lifestyle that's, that's glamorized, there's money in it. it. It sells because people are buying it. Yeah. And the problem is, yeah. is that a majority of the pastors are not teaching that to their people. That, yeah. that's, that really is, is, is really what it comes down to. One of the things that we- I, I would go further. Music itself, why don't we elevate to the highest level of what man can be capable of? We, we've even reduced music in the church to five chords. Well, th- look, this is, well, actually the music issue is another whole other issue because music is probably one of the greatest arguments against atheism, if you really think oh, about yeah. it, because what moves a person, yeah. people don't understand that, the, the, the conscious of a man and what changes them. There's, it's no coincidence that Satan was in essence that lead musician, basically. He was a worship leader. That's a whole other issue. But, but I think there's, a, there's something to be said here. You know, look, this is the very reason why, as a church, we're very aggressive about looking at what music is and teaching people, educating people about music. Not just simply, and you say, you know, the five chords or whatever, but even the content, the words that are, that are even in music. Yeah. Because it's not just the, the, the complexities of the music that we listen to, but it's also the content of the words. And here's something that I've learned. There's, by the way, there's a direct connection between the two. The less complicated music tends to be, the larger of an open door it creates for words that are actually evil. And that, by the way, that's not, a, uh, that's not a, uh, an unfounded statement, right? I'm a musician. I understand how music works. I get it. A lot of the music right now that's bringing bad messages into our community, it's good music in the sense that it carries a beat, it has a rhythm, it has, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a lot of the music that's being put out there right now. But typically, for, a muse, for, for any kind of, the way the human mind works, just think about it this way. This is a neurological discussion here, okay? The way the human mind works, if the music grows in complexities, there's m- less room for the mind to analyze the words. Yeah, let me, let me jump on that, because where I was going with my thought. I ran on a rabbit trail, didn't I? No, no, no. You actually added to what I wanted to say, and I like it. The Imago Dei, the, the, the magnified image of God in the beauty of the complexity of mankind that's found in many different colors, but also abilities, that the orchestra of music is elevated when the community is unified. Yes. And we even divide over music. That's right. The music I was pointing to in that world has nothing to do with the, the, the complexity and 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 beauty of the music, it has to do with the message. That's right. And the same message exists whether you're doing reggae or you're doing techno pop or you're doing, it can all be, you, you can do a love song ballad that's just trash. Yep. And I'm not a music, musically inclined guy, but one of the things I love is that when you see an eclectic gathering of musicians from every culture who are unified in Christ combined, unbelievable. What, what happens? It actually, am, I, am I right on you're that? Right. It actually introduces the greatest complexities in music that we've ever heard in the human race. It's interesting that you would say that. Some of the most complex music that we've ever heard, some of the most challenging music that we've ever heard, I would argue, has been from people that have come together with that kind of a mentality. This is why we don't have musicians like this anymore. Now, I'll talk about some musicians that are, you know, people that weren't godly. They weren't living godly lives, but there was a discipline associated with the music that they did. I talk about Charlie Parker. You listen to some of the ballads he did, right? I mean, if you just take a moment to, to analyze the complexities of what he could do with the simple instrument. You listen to old jazz music, which by the way, was very much deeply rooted within the African-American community. What was incredible about much of that music, right? Was the fact that it introduced concepts into music that we don't understand anymore. The world phrasing, the, the world was, was more, the, the world was quicker to embrace the complexity of the Imago day than the church was. Thank you. Thank you. You could, you, you, we, we would argue over an organ or a piano. Right. And when syncopated rhythms came into the church, oh, oh goodness, because yeah, it it's, it's, yeah. it's racial. Yeah. 
and it was it was a declaration. Yep. Music is one of the most profound ways to unify a church. Yep. And everyone says, I just want hymns. Yeah. They are sanctified. Which hymns were actually bar songs. They were bar songs. In, yeah, I, right. I got that. Yeah. But what they're saying is the words touched me and what I experienced. And, and music is subjective. Right. But if you just want what you always have and it's, it's, it's homogenous, God wants us to celebrate the Imago Dei. The, 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 the multifaceted beauty of the image of God in man. And, and music is one of those gifts. It's true. I've actually never seen a radical transformation in the life of anybody that I talk about in these stories where the spectrum of music that they listen to increased radically. Yeah. I've, never, I've never seen that. And those things all go hand in hand. But in essence, see what you're driving with. And if the people watching us aren't catching on to this, because I'm catching on to it, where you're driving to is the fact that we, for some reason in the church, have adapted the philosophy, which is ugly, that we must conform to the culture because it's the only way we'll grow in effectiveness in, in communicating our message. Where what we patently fail in understanding is that when we take what Christ brings into the world and into our lives and introduce it into the culture, we not only add complexity and flavor and beauty to the culture, but we actually trendset it. Yeah. We transform it. And, and we have the ability to take every beautiful nuance of every culture and, and make it to a place where it flourishes to its highest level. That's right. But the church is uncanny that we become homogenistic and tribal. And we even abandon the public square, which community, what's the highest form of community? Politics. Yeah. We avoid it because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't want to deal with somebody who doesn't agree with me. I like the word liberal. I really do. I like a, a genuine classical liberal because they, they look at a wall and they go, why is that there? Let's go. Right. And I don't like the word capitalist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> for the same reason. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. A, and a conservative comes at wall and says, well, it's there. No one's to move it. And the liberal says, well, let's ask questions. Why is there? It, you know, a, a Marxist is, I own the wall and I'll do what I want with it. And right. you know, I, I don't, right. we can use all, but the idea when the scripture says, oh, your sin, sins were scarlet, they've been washed as white, so come, let us reason together. Yeah. The reasoning is not to justify the sin, but, but the idea is, let, let, what, what is it that you're holding on to yeah. that's more important than me cleansing you of all unrighteousness? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and whatever is given to God first will never be lost. Right. right. Just, just give it to me. Right. It, whether, it's your, whether it's your sexual preference or your cultural identity or your skin color right. or, or your music preference, what's holding you back from yeah. me? Yeah. It, it's interesting. The reason why the church is not open to that type of dialogue oftentimes is because they've abandoned the truth. So, so, so you think about this. They're more, they're more concerned with their comfort than they are yeah. with their liberty. If, I'm, if I am willing to embrace the truth, then I know that the dialogues that we have together are always going to come to that common place. I'm not scared of what you have to offer if it's a differing opinion because me and you are not looking at a personal discourse between one another and seeking to disagree and winning. It's a dialogue. Well, we also looking for the truth, but we get to a place where we settle in comfort. I agree. I, I, I agree. I, I know what I expect every Sunday when I come. I know the music that I'm going to receive. I have already acquiesced to the understanding that I'm saved by grace, and I want to reflect on that. And, and I just, I want the simplicity of my Sunday service, and I'm going to go back to my, and God says, no. No, the idea of the gospel is it's to go. Right. And, and even across the street, it's not homogenous. It, it breaks, the slave, Greek, free, yeah. male, female, it, 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 it it accomplishes and can go anywhere and transform anything. Yep. But we come to a place where we're comfortable. So comfortable that we would use religion as our political structure. Yeah. yeah. To say they're not like us. Yep. And then we lose the way on which politics is supposed to work. Where we step into the public square and we say, right. how do we work through this so that we can see that the law is a school teacher, a guardian to protect us and point us to Christ until faith comes? Yeah. No, the law is to make sure that I can keep my business. Yeah. 
Well, and the, the, the problem is, is it, it's because churches deny the basics of what the Bible teaches us, right? If we accept the fact that there is a fundamental condition within mankind that expresses total depravity if we if we agree with the fact that there is no one righteous no not one then the law is important to us when the bible talks about the law being the schoolmaster in essence in more modern terminology the law is the tool that drives us to the understanding that we have a need for the christ that we worship you, you got to think about it like this when i first bought my home And we entered into the contract of the purchase of the home. I went to the contractors and I said, look, that wall is crooked right there. You got to fix that wall. That wall is crooked. He says, you're blind. You're nuts. That wall is not crooked. I said, that wall is crooked. He says, well, the only way we're going to find this out, you got to buy this, this tool. Uh, It's a straight edge and it's going to tell us that the thing is crooked, but it's a hundred dollars. I'll go buy it. Go to Home Depot, $30 later. Go buy it, bring it, put that tool right up on the wall. Guess what? Crooked. It's crooked. That's what the Bible is. The Bible is the tool, the law, is the tool to show us how crooked we are. We have the propensity of telling ourselves we're not. It also does this. Not only does it show us that we're crooked, but it drives us to the place of leaning upon the one who can fix that problem. Here's, Here's where it breaks down. If we don't contend in the ecclesia, the public square... To bring that ruler, that straight edge, to contend for all humanity, not so that we know we need to be saved by grace, but to contend for the safety of all mankind. That we are going to a school board meeting, we're going to a council meeting because we're contending for that straight edge so that everyone can live together and they're going to say, how do you come up with that? You point them to Christ... Because these laws of nature, nature's got are revealed, and then they come to faith. Rob, but here's the thing. With the church, it has to start with the personal experience of the people that are, that are bringing people to that attention. You think about it like this. When I have a pastor that doesn't want to contend in the area of politics, when I have a pastor that doesn't want to do what you're talking about and bring that to, it's indicative of a problem within their own lives and within their own heart. It's indicative of the fact that they have settled for a place of comfort yeah, that's, that doesn't that's drive was, them to that conversation. That's where I was going. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what happens. Mankind loves comfort more than they love liberty. That's exactly and right. that's what enslaves them. And the, and the enemy plays on that. Three to five million Jews enslaved in Egypt... They pray to God, call out to him. They send a deliverer. Moses contends with Pharaoh. Who is God that I should obey him? Right. And then when Moses is doing what they asked him to do and what God commanded him to do, Pharaoh decides to be a greater tyrant and doubles the, the brick quota and, and reduces the straw. And the work output is heavy. And the three to five million Jews that were enslaved are crying out to God all of a sudden start complaining and saying, look what you did to us. Mm-hmm. And Moses says, wait a minute. You wanted freedom. Yeah, but we didn't want to pay for it. We didn't, we didn't want to strive for it. We don't want to suffer for it. We, yeah, we, it's going to come at a, at a price. Freedom isn't free. But, the, but the, I, I think that's where I'm going with and this. And that's where, that's, we're already there, both of us. Yeah. The, the church loves comfort. Right. We love the building. We love to call this the church. We don't right. want to talk about the ecclesia. We want the climbing wall. We want the smoke in the mirrors. We want the cool music. We want what we want. We want comfortable chairs, air conditioning. And then I'll, I'll you know, tip the waitress on the way out. But, the, but see, I'm going to take this a step further. Because this is why the Bible tells us to be not drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. Restrain your evil. Yeah, because you have to think about this. Look, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit isn't just indicative of a mechanism that drives us to, to live in righteousness. Being filled with the Spirit is the very thing that says, even if I have a million dollars, I'm not content with settling in that yeah. and never moving a, a, a bit further. Being filled with the Spirit says, I'm not comfortable to just simply stop and not tell anybody after I've been transformed. Being filled with the Spirit is in essence what makes us like the woman at the well. See, the woman at the well had her life transformed by Jesus. Jesus extended himself to her. He he brings transformation to her life and her heart. And the very next thing that she does... Now that she's been transformed, all she has to do is worry about herself. She goes no. into the city. She goes into the city. And here's the thing that people don't understand because they don't understand the culture. They don't understand the significance of what she's doing. She's a prostitute. 
She's going into the city now she's gonna lose as her. a prostitute who's been reformed by Christ, who's been changed by Christ. And she's saying, come here and let me show you these things that I've, that, I mean, he's shown me things I don't even know about myself. Come over here and take a look at this. Now, let me just simply tell you, for her to just uh, disappear into oblivion would be the most comfortable thing to do. But there was a mechanism that drove her internally to go and say, hey, listen, something is different and I want you to experience that. That's the problem with Christians. Christians are not filled with the Spirit. They choose not to be filled with the Spirit. That's why the Bible commands us. And it makes it very, very clear. Do not oppress. Do not. That's literally the the translation, right? Do not oppress the Spirit of God inside of you. Don't quench the Spirit of God. And when you quench the Spirit of God, you are choosing to make a decision that says, I'm not going to listen to the very person that drives me to think a different way. And it kind of goes back to this. Like, you go back to the way we used to live before we knew the Lord. See, the way we used to live before we knew the Lord, it really was an animal instinct, right? The flesh told the mind, this is what I want. And the mind said, yes, master. And according to Romans chapter five, six, seven, and eight, Christ now comes into my life. And and you understand this, you know this stuff, but Christ comes into my life. And as he comes into my life, that spirit that was dead is now quickened. It's awakened, right? There's a new sheriff in the universe. And the the paradigm shift is incredible. Spirit, mind, body. Because now the spirit of God says, no, you're going to do this. And the mind says, yes, master. And then tells the lowest denominator, which is the flesh. It used to be the highest denominator. You're going to do this. Soma, psyche, and pneuma. Right, that's right. And when a man... Man has been transformed, when a man has been transformed at that level, they will never be comfortable. They will always be willing to contend. They will understand the fact that politics emanates from the pulpit. The pulpits create politics. Whether or not a pastor wants to admit it, when I stand behind the pulpit, I am creating the politics of the day. They don't get that. The people that are sitting in the churches that are going out and experiencing or creating uh, laws based on their own worldview, that worldview is coming from the general sociological infrastructure that is created. And traditionally, the way the sociological infrastructure is set is based on what is emanating from the pulpits in the church. We even create eschatologies that justify our apathy and inactivity. Uh, and let me go. Let me. I'll, okay. So, so I'll so take so that, that wait, further. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, get, I get to jump a little bit. And you need to get your breath. I'm worried about you. <laughs> um, when you were talking about do not quench the spirit. And I, 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 I think that's in 2 Timothy. It's at the very end. It's like the that's last right. thing he writes before he's going to die. He says, don't quench, do not quench the spirit. The idea is the only way you can put out a fire is you put water on it. Or you put sand on it. Or you don't feed it. Yeah. There's no fuel. And, and we can see that illustration, whether it's what we're watching or just dampening it. And you know that you're not walking in the spirit. You know, you've had times where you've gotten that phone call and you are neck deep in sin and they're calling and you're just throwing out some Christian, you yeah. know, you know, the, the verses that just come to memory and you're like, praise the Lord, brother. And, and you're faithful to the word, but there's, there's just no conviction there. And you're, you're pretty much quenching. And then you've just finished your devotion. You've had time in the word. You're present in the Lord. You've been interceding on everything. The phone called and you were waiting for them to call because you had been asking. And they ring and you've got a word for them. And I mean, that's on fire. Yep. And here we've, we've reduced Christianity down to a place where we're stuck in these four walls of a building. And we don't do anything in politics because politics is dirty. Sure. And so is the church, but you know. I used to say this, if you were to pull a Bible study that I taught four years ago, you would hear me say, if I have 45 minutes to talk about politics or I have 45 minutes to preach the gospel, I'm choosing the gospel every time. I used to say that. I look back now and I, I realize, because there were a lot of straws that broke that camel's back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I realize I, yeah. the error, the, the erroneous way of thinking and when in we, saying that. When we say politics... We're talking about the highest form of community. That's right. That this is how you endeavor to keep the union of the spirit and the bond of peace is you're contending with one another right. in love. That's right. And, and, and we've lost that art on, on how to live together with, with morality and sociability. So we've reduced the gospel to, to 
confessing we're sinners and that we, 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 there's nothing, we're saved by grace through faith, accepting Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and, and the free gift of salvation. And then every application of the text always goes down to a personal application, never having to do with us engaging. Do, do you think the scriptures have anything to say on immigration? <laughs> Are you that, kidding it, that, me? It, that it has nothing to do with a stranger. It has to do with assimilation. Are you kidding If me? you want to immigrate to a country, it's all in there. We've got the Greek word. But do we ever study that? Does the Bible have anything to say about transportation? Does it have anything to say about debt? Does it have anything to say about representative form of government? It does. But we don't go there because we just got to keep butts in the seats. Well, and, and look, I, I, look I'll, I'll, I'll take it far beyond that. Um, we don't go there because we're walking in disobedience. We, look, I, these are harsh terms. You know, I, I say things like this and there's lots of guys. There's guys that have contacted me. They text me. They're very offended by what I'm saying. I've had guys accuse me of making enemies of other black pastors. And I, I, I've, I've heard it all, right? But my problem is, is if I am a man who truly believes what's in this book, then I'm going to contend in that arena. Yeah. Uh, this is my belief. I believe that men that will not contend in that arena do not believe in the Bible completely. They do not have a real Christian worldview. And I will tell you why I say that. Because if you tell me that I do not belong in the political arena and I, and I should not be speaking about things in politics, let me just ask you a simple question. And it's a very important question. What other part of my life do you want me to compartmentalize from, from the Lord? And like I said last time, should, should uh, Rosa Parks have gotten to the back of the bus? That's exactly right. Yeah. It's exactly right. The problem is, is Christians don't realize how radically and how quickly they can transform the political infrastructure of any nation in which they dwell by yeah. simply taking a stand and speaking the truth. Amen. We're not doing that. And it's a crime. It's a sin. We're, we're failing people. Think of it like this. If you're my patient and I'm a doctor and you have cancer, when I go to you and I say, you're great, man. You're fine. Everything's wonderful. Just go and hang out. Six months later, you die. Did I do you a favor as a doctor? I didn't do you a favor as a doctor. But what if I tell you, you have cancer, Rob, and it's going to suck. You're going to hate the chemo that you have to go through or whatever. And I give you 25 years of life. Who committed the crime and who didn't? We have a cancer in our world, in our society. When, the, when, the, when you were pointing out, and, and I love what you did, they, 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 they're having their ears tickled. That's right. And then you commented about, and I don't know if I've gone this far, and, and you know, but, but touch on it. Right? You, you commented about Romans 1. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I made, I, I actually. Uh, and, well, and, and know that you have a very empathetic, sympathetic person on this side that probably wouldn't take kind of a stand you're taking. Although I'm, I'm not offended by you. I'm not, hey, yeah, I love right, you. Right. It's just that, that that's not where I naturally go. I, I, I really you're a bulldog for Jesus. Yeah, I'm a little different. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and that, yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 and in that case, you're, you're always, you know, plowing a, um, a, an opening. Right. On my end, I'm kind of looking, did you get hurt when he, you know? Yeah. He hurt? yeah. yeah. So the dialogue in Romans 1 is interesting. The dialogue in Romans 1, Paul tackles a very difficult issue. And the issue is, what if there are people that don't hear the gospel? What if there are people that have no general understanding of what is right or wrong? How can we hold somebody accountable if they don't know what is right or wrong? And the contention of the Apostle Paul is, is unique and it's powerful and it's quite biblical. And he says, hey, listen. I love uh, this. Creation, the very creation of God speaks. speaks. Uh, here's a word that critical race theory doesn't like. Science speaks. Revealed right? knowledge. It reveals knowledge. We know that. Isaiah tells us this. The Psalms tell us this. We, everywhere you go, the you scientists tell us this. The scientists <laughs> tell us this. The data. The heavens declare the glory, glory of, of God. God. So Paul says, the people that you are questioning, whether or not they've heard the gospel or whether or not they know better, they are without excuse. They're without excuse. What we're seeing right now Amongst these people who are contending for abortions, amongst these people who are propagating the teaching of hatred, amongst these people that are bringing forth things like critical race theory, amongst the people that are walking. They in have this, exchanged the truth for a that's lie. That's exactly right. They have made a conscious decision to exchange the truth for a lie. I read an article about one that, of the leading activists for pro-life who ended up having a miscarriage at six months. Six months she miscarried her baby. How tragic. 
right? They have a funeral. They're, they're heartbroken by the miscarriage of the baby. It's a horrible thing. But yet, this person is contending to be able to, to, to give mothers the right to say, well, if you miscarried at six months and you declare it not a baby, then it really wasn't a baby. It was a fetus and we don't have to grieve the life. Okay, on critical race theory, exchanging the truth for a lie where you no longer can talk about empirical data, no right. longer. So that, that really is, there is no truth except for what we tell you it is. That's exactly right. There'll, I, be, there'll be no debating, there'll be no dialogue, it, and, and we exchange the truth for a lie, period. And when everybody quotes Romans 1, the one thing that they never remind the Christians of. See, we'll quote Romans 1 and go, hey, they're the unbelievers. And I, I used that in the video that I made today, or yesterday, technically based on the recording we're doing. But the one thing they don't ever bring up is the Apostle Paul then says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into salvation. We don't bring that up. Pastors who will not contend in the political forum are ashamed of the gospel. Yeah. They're ashamed. I wouldn't go that far. I, I would. But you would. I, here's the reason why I would go that far. I, I, I'll tell you, I, honestly. I told, I told Charlie this. Love hopes all things. Yes. Listen, love hopes all things, bro. And I'm, it and believes I'm giving, all and things. And I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, listen, I couldn't agree with you more. They've been there but in the if, darkest times of my life and they've endeavored with me. Fear drives people, bro. Fear does, and we're all susceptible to it. You've uh, been and, scared. And, and by the way, let me just simply say this. Some of the ones that I would say that about are people that have molded and shaped my life. People that I, that I would never name public. I mean, I, I just, it's not what I do. But, they're, but I just think, why is it that you refuse to contend? Well, look, we're shepherds. Paul, we're shepherds, Rob. I got it. We're called by God to contend for our sheep when our sheep don't have the strength to contend for themselves. We're called to take hits and bullets that they can't take. And there, there, is, there is equipped and gifted and trained as the one who discipled them. Oh, absolutely. So we just follow that back. Absolutely. But the idea is, Paul never looked at him and wrote him off. I would agree. He yep. contended for him. That's right. And he loved them. That's right. He says, Demas has forsaken me. He had given up on John Mark. That's right. But he said, he's useful to me. We... Paul was always about the mission. Barnabas was always about the man. Yep. You're more of Paul. I'm a bit of a Paul. Yeah. But, but I will also yeah. say this. I, I and, was, and in time, Paul becomes about the man and Barnabas becomes about the mission. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. It, iron it, sharpens iron. It's interesting to one of the things that I've, re, that I've recognized, and it is something where I've softened quite a bit. I, and I am different in this, in this arena. I really do care about the people. It's one, of, it's one of my favorite things to tell people. It's like, look, you, you're going to hear me be very aggressive and contend in the arena. And there's a lot of people that don't like it. And, and sometimes I don't even like it. I hear myself, I go like, oh my goodness. But one of the things I've learned over the years is how critically important it is to take men under your wings and disciple them. Yeah. How important it is. You know, the man that I shared the story about earlier, you, you don't find transformation in a man's life like that until you tell them, let's hang out for a whole day. Yeah. Watch me live my everyday life. Yeah. Let's go work on a project together. Let's go do this. And when we're picking up something or when we're driving somewhere or when we're doing something, hey, bro, help me out. Why do you think this way? And then what do we do? We start contending with one another. We start yeah. developing a dialogue and things begin to change. Which, by the way, thank you to Dennis Prager. I love giving his videos to people because yeah. <laughs> he helps me contend that way. Check, check this out. There's a pastor in, the, in, the, in Ventura County. Um, I would say a, a liberal denomination. Mm -hmm. I've never met him in person that I recall. He's a dear friend of a pastor who's also of a liberal denomination and a Democrat who I adore. So I step into the arena and I contend with the authorities. This pastor contends with me. Why are you doing that? We're mm -hmm. obeying. You need to obey. And he comes at me and I come at him. I get convicted. I feel bad. I call my friend. I said, you know him? He goes, I do. He's a good man. I go, he kind of upset me and he got me in a place I didn't want to be. Yeah. He goes, you know, Rob, I know you and I know him. Give it another shot. I circled back. I had to eat a little crow. I said, you know, I spilled a hot cup of, cup of flesh on you. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you obviously don't see what I'm doing. I don't really see what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing or how you're going about it. You probably, let's find our commonality. We start talking about the Lord. 
he was still contending in the opposite ideology I was contending in mine. I think he may have even joined the county in their um, uh, a, a, a attack on me. Mm -hmm. not, not that he wanted to attack, but that he, yeah. you know, he was a, an expert witness, so to speak. Well, I don't know that for a fact, but this is what's cool. Things start to take its course, and I've built a friendship with him. I'm, he's not going to be my enemy. He's upset me, but I'm going to love him. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. This is what happened today. Hey, Rob, if we were to open, where do we get one of your ionization machines? <laughs> it's so great. And I didn't call him up and, and I didn't text him back and get, read him the riot act. You know what I did? Don't worry, I'll bring you one. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to give up on these guys. Yeah, that's right. I still, I think this is a good picture, although it'd be better if you were with the 300 pounds, but a church picnic, if you added the 300 pounds that you had before you lost this amazing weight oh, and, yeah. and God's, and you still got, you're, you're losing. Still have some you, yeah. You still lost quite yeah. a bit, even yeah. since the last time we talked, I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Working on it. But you were the guy that we would, you have a church picnic and you're going to be over here and we're going to tie the rope around you. And you're the guy at the end of the rope. Boom. Yeah. Oh, that's right. The and then they're going to find somebody like you on their side. Yep. And then you're going to, you know, get the wily guys and the really aggressive ones in the front. And the ones in the front, you want right there. And there's the big mud pit and there's the flag in the middle. And you're going to pull until the other team gets in the mud. And these guys are going to talk smack and they're going to, they're going to tell them, okay, pull one, two, three. And they're going to control it. And they're, yep. and they're like the generals and they're in the front lines. Yep. And you're just this anchor. Bam. Yeah, that's right. And they're, they're going to get, they're going to see each other and, and, and laugh. And then at the end, one of the teams is going to be pulled in, but either of these guys isn't going to get dirty. Yeah. It's the ones in the arena that are going to get dirty. But you need these as anchors. Yep. And those are the ideologies of truth. Yep. But everyone has to be on the rope. Yeah. At some point. Be. You have to be. And sometimes I'm going to get pulled over into their side. Yep. And I'll get dirty. Yep. Sure. And I'm not saying I'm that guy. You're, you're up in the front, true, too. I'm just using it as an illustration. Yeah, of course. And, and you look at folks and say, I'm not moving. Okay, yeah. we'll put you at the end of the rope. But if we're going to have culture that really starts to interact in the, in the arena where you get bloodied, we got to contend for truth, but we have to endeavor for unity. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, look. And that's where the law is necessary and the church has to engage. The, the body of Christ has to engage in the ecclesia. I mean, I mean, look, if... If anybody spent any amount of time watching me and you dialogue over the last three times we've done this, it's exactly what we're doing. There's different points of views expressed. You know, we have, we and you are very kindred in many ways. I, I really believe that we have the same heart, but I'm not fearful and you're not fearful of entering into a dialogue where there's an exchange of ideas yeah. because the common purpose that we have is to find ourselves in a place where we've derived the truth. It's, it's the final court of arbitration for us. And, and, and as with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, one insisted, the other was determined. That's right. And not a small contention arose. That's right. They, they, were, they were upset. Yeah. They were yeah. pissed. Yeah, sure. Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas, when, when Barnabas was walking with the Lord and he was son of encouragement and he was given to people and he was a Levite and he owned property and sold it, which he's not supposed to have. That's right, yeah. And the first thing he does is sell it and put it at the apostles' feet. He takes back seat. He knows the word probably better than all of them do. And at the time he's doing this, Paul's out killing Christians. He, yeah. he, he's Antifa. That's right. And, and Barnabas is so used to giving to people who take advantage of him that he started to learn the nature of man. And people say, what are you doing with that guy? Oh, I just felt sorry for him. Don't waste time with him. Yep. And he's sharpening so the day comes that he's able to build a bridge to bring Paul in. Paul's on fire. Paul's knowledgeable. Yeah, sure. And then Paul disses Barnabas over John Mark, who he has the same love that he had when he brought Paul in. Yeah. And when that, not a small contention arose, the beauty of it is two works started. Paul and Titus and Barnabas. And, yeah, of and, course. And, I am thrilled that we sit here and I can challenge you, not because I want to upset you. I just want to look at every facet of the diamond and see, are we doing this right, Lord? 
It's, it's so important. And I love that you always come back with a ready and wise answer. And I'm not, and you know, the funny thing is, is that I'm, I'm not fearful of being challenged because I'm no, contending for the truth. I, There's I, a confidence I, in, in, you've studied to show yourself yeah. approved. And I have no problem coming back and saying, hey, I'm in error. If, if I'm not willing to come back and say I'm in error, then that means I've stopped learning. If I've yeah. stopped learning, then I'll, then I'll never be an effective teacher. And, and I'll get some responses by some of the comments I've made tonight. And, and people know if they've, if they've written me or they've come to address me, if they want to just, you know, say something caustic and I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah. But anyone who's ever come and said, I, I need to talk to you about something. Yep. I am correctable. Yep. And I'm, I'm not saying that out of pride. You, you can, you can oh, test you that. You oh, can test I, that with anyone. I know you. I know I, now. I'm correctable. Yeah, of course. Of course. And the beautiful thing about being correctable is you gain friends. <laughs> you not only gain friends, but you gain favor from the Lord. I mean, the Lord Humility before uses honor. you, bro. Humility he, before yeah. honor. It's, it's so true. I, you know, it's funny. I look back on the ministry that God's given me. You know, I, I've been teaching the Bible now for 27 years. And I, and I look back and I think about, you know, when I started, I, I, I started teaching the Bible at 16 years old. I, I was a pastor at 18. I'd already got my bachelor's degree at that point. I was taking 30, 40 units a semester. I remembered God reminding me early, early on, James, I'm going to break you. I'm going to break you if you continue to carry yourself with pride and arrogance. If, 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 you, if you hide behind the intelligence that I've given you, I'm going to break you. And can I, let me tell you something. He's broken me. I never thought I would see the day where I have a nerve disease that affects me so much that oftentimes I find myself in a position where I can't even walk. But I look back at it and I realize I've never met a man. I've never met a man that was greatly used by God that wasn't broken. Amen. And I think that that brokenness also teaches us to take the talents and the giftings that God has given us and to use them and articulate them and stipulate them between people in a way that brings glory to God. Someone looks at me and I'm a mirror and I'm supposed to reflect Christ if they notice me, there's only two reasons why they're noticing me. I'm dirty or broken. And, and I find myself dirty and broken a lot. <laughs> I, mean, I really, I really do. But it's, it's what we have to do. And this is why it makes such a big deal about us contending in this arena, contending in the political arena. There's not a lot of people doing it with us. And I'm, I'm thankful that you have taken on thoughts and ideas that I haven't had the time to investigate and you've articulated them for me. We're, we're, we're at the top of the hour, and, and I, I want to I say this. You said yesterday, and you also said in, in this broadcast, that I'm your, you look up to me. Yeah. Okay. You're one of the heroes of the faith, for sure. The reality is, you said broken and dirty. I'm going to add to it. The only reason why I have any standing is humility before honor. Yeah. And you know how he, you get humility? Humiliation. Yeah. And, and it's sitting with guys like you that give me stretch marks on my brain. I don't run in your world. I'm, 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 I do read, but I am not a theologian. You can challenge me. I do retain stuff, but I do know this. I love listening to guys like you. I love watching God use you. I, I, I love sitting here humbled by articulating ideas that I've pondered and wondered about but was never able to formulate. If I've ever had an original idea, you know what it is? I call myself an amalgamator <laughs> where you take two metals and you put them together and you make, you know, oh, look what I did. What, I didn't make anything new. I just hid sources. I took Charlie and James and made something. And everyone's like, wow. You know, the fact that I can, I can be here and people get to witness this, that I get to sit at a table with someone like you, someone like Charlie, and you can run intellectual circles around me, but I can ask questions that challenge your heart. It boils down to one thing. If you look up to me, it's only because, and you know this, I love you. Yeah, bro. Well, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of words right now, so. You bless me. Yeah. You too. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's pray 
for them and I'll pray for you. you know, I'm going to pray for you and pray for them. And then, and then you're going to, you're going to, are you up to reading the blessing tonight? Yeah, sure. All right. All right. Yeah. Father, thank you for James, my sweet brother. Lord, what a gift you've given to the body of Christ of a man who studies to show himself approved unto you. He speaks the truth in love. And even when challenged, he is just so prone to say, here am I, God, use me. There's, there's no guile, there's no pride. And if there is, it's surrendered immediately. Lord, I, I thank you for my brother. Lord, thank you for blessing my life with what you've entrusted to him that he's been so faithful to share. And all of us tonight, as we've witnessed how you have equipped him to articulate things that we really need to know right now in this season of life, you're faithful to do that. So Lord, I ask your blessing on all who would observe this and view it, see it, and be challenged by it, that their lives would be strengthened and equipped in a greater capacity to step into the public square and to speak the truth in love. And so Lord, we're grateful for what you've given us and we commit it to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Jesus' Amen. name. Amen. All right, the, the blessings right here, they put it up on the screen, they make it really simple. And if they're back there, unless they left, oh, they're good. All right. Did you want me to read it in a different language? I, mean, I know you'd. Oh, yeah, you'd yeah, got, do it in a different language. All right. Yeah, yeah, read it. We're, we're just going to leave it off the screen so you can read it. Okay, so I'm going to butcher it a little bit because I'm going to read it relatively slow. Uh, but this is the Hebrew reading of it. And okay. um, it's not the mar, modern Hebrew, it's the older biblical Hebrew. So hopefully those of my Jewish friends will, will recognize it. Um, but Yavarcha Adonai veYeshamacha Yar Adonai Panev Elcha veAmocha Yisa Adonai Panev Elcha Yasim Echa Shalom. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make His face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. And be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon James and give him peace. I would have sung it with you, bro, but you made me cry. You so. bless me. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you all.